Well, good morning. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good, good, good. A couple of you. Well, as, as you might have noticed, today's going to be a little bit different. Um, today is not going to be a typical sermon. Um, I am rather going to be kind of interviewing. Phil and I are going to be discussing tithing. So it's another week where everybody's like, man, I should have slept in today. Um, and I said this last week. I'm going to say it again this week. Uh, this is my least favorite thing to talk about in church, which is why I had Phil talk with me, so that at least someone's sharing it. Um, but it's my least favorite thing to talk about. Um, I get all of the frustrations. I feel all of the frustrations. I've been in the services where I thought, this, is, this seems extravagant, and this doesn't seem like a good use of money. And I've, been in, I've had days where talking about money felt like poking at a wound in my own life because I was struggling with it. I get the struggles we have just come to believe that in spite of the discomfort of this topic, it's one of the most common subjects in scripture. Um, and tithing specifically has been considered a spiritual discipline or a spiritual practice for as long as there have been Christians. Um, so I wanna say this as a caveat to the discussion this morning. We believe it's more important that we tithe than it is that you tithe here. So if you hear this sermon today and you think, man, maybe I should consider tithing, or if you hear this conversation, but you're like, it makes me uncomfortable that a church would talk about it, then you know, pull up Google Maps, search churches. There are hundreds around here. You don't even have to go to a different one. You can start tithing to a different one. We're okay with that. And I'm not saying that to like gloss over our needs as a community. I mean, as a community, our, our ministries are funded through tithing, but we want to put our faith and our money where our mouth is and say that we believe this is a formative spiritual discipline. So it's more important that you experience tithing and that you experience the formation of that than it is that you tithe here. We all on the same page? So if you leave today and you're like, I cannot believe that a church would talk about tithing, pick a different church and tithe there and, and keep coming here and see how it forms you, Okay. And if you like that other church, you can go there too. I mean, I'd prefer you didn't. We like everybody that's here. Um, but with that, uh, everybody say hi, Phil. Hi, Phil. <laughs> so we're, this, this is going to be different. You know, normally on a Sunday morning at the fold, we pick a specific passage of scripture and we dive in and teach that specific passage of scripture. Even if we're talking about a topic broadly, we're talking about it from a specific and unique passage of scripture. But today, we are going to be broadly discussing tithing what tithing is, where it's found biblically, and why it's a spiritual discipline. Um, because we want to make sure we have an actual framework for what this means, rather than just whoever has the microphone telling you you should do it. Sound good? All right, so um, I'm going to kind of ask Phil questions. Phil is going to answer. I'm going to answer. We'll discuss them, and that's how it's going to work. So let's jump right in. First off, Phil, at a very base, basic outline, also, let me say this. Phil is my favorite Bible teacher. I, Phil is my favorite Bible teacher. Phil is not only incredibly well-educated and well-rounded in the, in the topic of Scripture, um, he is also faithfully living out the way of Jesus. Um, Phil is someone whose wisdom I absolutely value, um, and I love Phil, um, and that's why he's up here, um, because Phil has so much wisdom to share. Um, so I strongly value his opinion. I think you guys should too. Um, I feel the same way about you. Oh, now I don't know what to say. You're my favorite. You're my favorite pastor. <laughs> oh, man. 
<laughs> well, before I get emotional, let's jump in. Um, so as a baseline, what is tithing? What does the word mean? Um, like, what are we talking about when we're talking about tithing? As a, as a baseline, without being super nerdy and boring about it, um, tithing is a principle that was set up in the Old Testament. Um, they didn't have church the way we have church there. Um, they had a temple. And uh, in the temple, um, you know, there, there were 12, 12 tribes of people in Israel. Like, it, like the Old Testament is about the people of Israel. Okay, these are God's chosen people. Not that he didn't love everybody, but he was making an example of this group of people. And this group of people, Israel, were split up into 12 tribes from 12 patriarchs. And they identified with their ancestor. And one of those um, groups were the, the, the Levites. And the Levites were in charge of the temple as a people. If you were a, a Levite boy, um, ultimately your job was to serve God in the temple, in the worship of God in the temple, and to care for the temple. And so... Um, all of Israel would give 10%-ish of everything that they had. Um, for them, it wasn't, you know, credit cards and cold, hard cash. It was, you know, uh, far, f supplies, whatever, whatever their craft was. If you're a carpenter, a farmer, um, you had those things. And so they would bring sacrifices. One of the ways they gave was they'd bring sacrifices to the temple. And when those animals uh, were sacrificed to God in the temple, then a portion of that was reserved for the Levites, and they would eat it. This is how they ate. Um, they didn't, they didn't um, you know, they were provided for by the people so that they could serve God in the temple. And people also brought other things, and they gave. And um, those things would go towards the temple and the building of the temple and the improvement of the temple and, and, and to the Levites who were working in the temple so that they could live um, and one of the reasons this is so important is Levites, you know, people, people in Israel all had family land. And that family land was their future. You know, like that's, that's where you lived. You know, your, your dad owned all this, this land that was allotted to you, and he would work that land. And when he passed away, the oldest brother uh, would take charge of the land, but the other brothers would work the land. And everyone found their sustenance off of that land. Levites didn't have that. Um, the, only, the only inheritance they had was the Lord. That's how the Bible put it. Their only inheritance was working in the temple. They didn't have a 401k um, or anything like that. It was totally based upon people taking care of them. Um, and so God instituted this, 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 this tithing, this giving of 10% that everyone had would be brought to the temple um, to supply for those needs. Um, when Jesus was asked about it in Matthew 23, 23, <clears throat> he gives an interesting comment, you know. He's actually rebuking um, religious leaders who are taking advantage of, of the system and of people. And he tells them, he says, look, he said, listen, you should have given 10% of everything, right? You're supposed to do that. Um, you're supposed to do that, but you should have done that and not neglected the greater work of compassion um, and taking care of other people. You shouldn't have given your tithe, and then sort of felt like your job was done. Um, because really the heart of it, guys, and we'll get back to this a bunch of times today, is what God's calling you to is to have a generous heart. Okay, So it's not about giving something and being done. It's about giving everything all the time. And, um, and so Jesus was challenging them, but he did affirm in that passage that tithing was the right thing for them to be doing. 
um, for the people that, that were listening to him. It was the right thing for them to be doing, but they needed to do it, you know, in, in the right way. And so um, that's where the foundation comes from. When you hear tithing, that's what people are talking about, is how this Old Testament principle of giving 10% applies to us today to give 10% to the church. And that's something I, that I agree with. And, um, you know, maybe we'll talk more about it. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, a couple of things just to, to add to that. First off, the word tithe means tenth. Um, so that's where literally the idea of 10% comes from. So like Phil mentioned, in the ancient world, um, they would bring in one-tenth, a tenth portion of whatever they brought in. And then there was also the concept of the first fruits, that the tenth would be the first thing. It would come from the first that you harvest. And this was a heart posture. You see that instituted um, really in Cain and Abel is where we get the, the idea of the principle of the first fruits, that God receives our first and our best um, and then that is reflected in the tithe. Also, I think it's worth pointing this out. Um, we think of, in the, if you grew up in church, you probably think of tithe as 10%, and sometimes we can think of tithe like, uh, like Jesus taxes or like club memberships for the church. Um, and I just want to point this out. In the ancient world, first off, um, there were actually multiple tithes in Scripture. Um, depending on who's doing the math, scholars disagree on this, but people would give anywhere between 10 and 30%. Um, of their increase every year um, of what they brought in. And what that would, it would do is a tenth would go towards um, the priests and the Levites. Um, a tenth would go towards the poor specifically. Um, it would be generous to the needs of the community. And then a tenth, once again, this is where it gets into kind of what scholar or what rabbi from the tradition you're reading. Um, but they would save up specifically to basically have a party every year. Um, and that's, I'm, I'm oversimplifying that a little bit, but there was money that was specifically set aside for celebration and for feasting. And that was actually part of the expectation as a member of God's people was that you would have funds set aside to celebrate and enjoy life and it didn't go to anyone else. It was saved. And that's one of the tithes talked about in the Old Testament. I say that to say this. Um, the Old Testament culture, we often look at it as very restrictive, very legalistic. They rested and celebrated way more than any of us do in the modern world. I just want you to, like, a modern American would hate the ancient Near East, and not because you lived in tents, but because you would spend so much time not doing things. Right? There, would have, there were years of Sabbath. There was, there was the year of Jubilee where everything was set right and back to its original place in the land. Right, All of the things that we think about accruing and building up and developing. Well, every 50th year, 49th year, all of that would kind of be reset in the ancient world. Um, the God instituted a very generous culture for his people that involved instituted and expected rest. Um, and when you gave, yes, it, made, it took care of the Levites, also took care of the poor, um, and also took care of celebrating. God expected his people to celebrate. And I think that's an important caveat when we're talking about the way, we, the way the Bible talks about resources and money, is God actually cares about us having a, a enjoying life. God actually does value that, not to the negating of suffering. There's no prosperity gospel in this. You don't give so you get more. Um, but God actually institutes a life in which we rest, and celebrate, acknowledge, and, and feast together, acknowledging the presence of God. Um, I think that's really important. So a tithe means a tenth, first off. So um, just, just so we're all on the same page, if I give 4%, that's a wonderful thing to do. That is not a tithe, biblically. 
because um, a tithe is a 10%. So we kind of answered the first two questions together. What is tithing and then what's the biblical uh, basis for that? Is there anything else you want to add about biblical basis for tithing? Yeah. Broadly? Who's, who's, been, who's been apple picking? I love apple picking. Anybody else do that? That's like one of my favorite things ever. In this past year, I figured out I could bring my dog. So it was like even more fun to go apple picking. But think of first fruits like this, like God didn't expect it, because it's a reflection of your heart giving. <laughs> so it's like, um, if you get there to, to uh, gosh, what's the one up on the mountain in North Carolina? Oh, Sky Top Orchard, man, the donuts are slamming there. <laughs> I would go there just for the donuts. But, you know, those first few weeks of apple picking, that's the first fruits, right? Because you can come later. Um, and, and, and you can get, you know, apples are a little bit older or they fell down or, you know, there's a bugs crawling on them. You know, so when God, the idea of the first fruits is giving God the best, um, that we can give him, um, and not sort of, and we do this sometimes with money in a different way. We're kind of like, um, you know, when I get paid, the most important part of my check is going to go for this. And if I have something left... Um, I will give that to God, you know, and, and uh, you know what, God, God may wink at that, you know what I mean, he knows your heart, he's not up in heaven like, how dare you, only give a mini tithe, you know, he's, he's not, but what he wants is for your heart to want to be generous, to the point of like where, where giving, giving tithe and taking care of the poor are like the first thing, maybe that you and I think about when we get a paycheck, you know. First off, we're getting kind of into the nerdy weeds here, but I love this stuff, which is why we've been doing this class over the last few weeks called What is the Bible? Um, but uh, it, scholars kind of disagree over what this means, but biblically and then traditionally, um, a tithe comes from, from your increase. So which is why in an agricultural society, when you brought in um, your crops, whatever you increased your supplies with, a tithe came out of. Um, if you traded... Right, because there were people. So, if you imagine in the Old Testament, it's first an agricultural nomadic society that slowly develops into being a nation of trade. Right, so less people are working the land, more people have jobs and are making money instead of getting their food from the ground. Right, um, so the increase becomes based on anything that they would trade with. People disagree on whether that's like net income or gross income. Um, people disagree on that. Um, I'm not going to tell you what that is. Sometimes you come into church and there's like, here's exactly what a tithe is supposed to be. If you're not doing this, then that's not biblical. People disagree on that kind of stuff. Um, but biblically, it comes from the increase. And that's what, one of the things I want to point out um, is that what, when we think of an organization like the Levites, um, it's easy for us to imagine the way that an organization in the modern world works, where there are people at the top who are accruing wealth based on that organization, right? That is not how the Levites worked. The Levites survived on the tithe, but they were not accruing wealth. Does that make sense? I think that, that's, a, that's a different, because it's easy for us to imagine that like, if I'm giving, I'm giving to a person who is gaining off of my giving. But that's why the idea was that you are giving to the Lord, because the Levites, as Phil already said, their inheritance was the Lord. Their job was to operate the temple and sacrifice structure to teach the law. So it was supporting the survival of these people. And it's the same thing in the modern church. There's not somebody who has a, like a uh, influencing interest in the church organization who's accruing wealth, 
right? Like this isn't, it doesn't work the way that a for-profit company works where people are accruing wealth, there are people who are surviving off of it though. Does that make sense? I think that's an important differentiation to make because it's easy for us to project modern ideas of an organization or a business onto the ancient world. And that's not how it worked. And that's not how, let me rephrase that, that's not how a church should work. We all know there are churches where there are people profiting from the giving of the people in an ungodly way. That is not the intent of a kingdom community biblically all throughout scripture. Yeah, so um, one of the questions people have about tithing um, is they'll say it's not mentioned in the New Testament, at least not explicitly. Um, So why should a modern Christian continue the practice of tithing? Why should I tithe today if it's not something that's explicitly given? Paul never says to the church in Ephesus, make sure that you tithe. Um, So what's the basis for a modern Christian continuing the practice? For me, and not to be funny, it's kind of like saying the Bible never tells me to take a bath. Um, Why do I do it? You know? Um, You know, when, when, when... the, the question, and I'm, I'm saying, you know, saying this compassionately, God, that's how God sees it compassionately. He knows the inner turmoil people feel about money, and he understands why you do, because you're a human being, and he created you a human being who's going to wrestle with understanding things and wrestle with obedience. The same way uh, my dog was running to the neighbor's house this morning, and it wasn't until I said, Mobley, that he stopped. But even then, he had to think about it. Before he came back, you and I are just like that. We're just, we're just like that. <laughs> Anytime we have a choice to make, uh, maybe especially with money, you know, there's, there's turmoil. I feel that too sometimes, you know. Um, but like, you know, the, if, if anything, the New Testament amplifies giving. You know, Jesus is like, you should have tithed, but you also should have um, pursued mercy, essentially, is what he said. But... Um, I mean, man, as a, as a Christian, and my, my viewpoint, guys, and I'm not telling you I don't wrestle with this. I do sometimes, too. You know, it's like I've, Corey and I have gone through different seasons of life. You know, we've been in ministry living in people's basements, making almost, you know, nothing. Um, you know, we've, we've, we've got medical debts right now. You know, I was, spent my day yesterday chopping down a tree that probably wasn't safe for me to chop down, but I can't afford to have somebody come out and take the thing down myself, you know. The different seasons, different times, you know, but, but, but if, if Jesus is primary and if his, his cause is primary, then it still should be the first thought I have um, when it comes to my time, when it comes to um, how I raise my children, how I treat other people, you know, and then certainly with money. It's like even when, when things are plentiful, um, then I have more ways to be generous. When, when things are not plentiful, uh, I still need to be generous. Why? Because life is about Jesus. It's not about this stuff. It's just not. You know, it's like we have a limited time to live on the earth. You know, you guys look at somebody who's 80. Maybe you look at somebody who's 45 and you're like, that's ancient. I got a long time to go. But... You know, 80 years is not a long time, not compared to eternity. And one day we may have the thought of, you know, I've been in heaven now for a billion years. But most of, most of, most of what affects that time will have been what I did with 80. Who's there? 
what needs were taken care of? Who suffered? Um, so this is how I try. This is how Corey and I try um, to live our lives. You know, so, so practically, practically speaking, I can be practical, right? Corey and I, we give, you know, at least 10% of our before-tax um, uh, income, and then we tithe off of our return um, at the end of the year. And that goes to different places. Um, we we kind of pray about it and decide at the end of the year what where that goes. Um, and we've we've... By God's grace, we've always done that, even when we lived in the basement. Because here's something I found out, okay? Here's something I found out. Do you ever realize how easy it is sometimes to just feel like you have holes in your pocket and the money is just leaking out? You know, like it's like, uh, um, you know, inflation goes up, you don't get a raise, Gosh, something happens to your car. I mean, the cars are a pit, man. I mean, tires are tires are a few hundred dollars a piece, you know? It's like everything's getting more and more expensive. Rent goes up. You know, like stuff happens. And, uh, you know, you go to the doctor. You know, and it just seems like you can never get ahead. I've found in my life that when people are less faithful to give to the Lord, the holes in their pockets get bigger. And when people are faithful to give to God first, the holes in their pockets close up a lot. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Phil, but there are rich people who don't know Jesus, and they are banging, and you know, they're driving the roller and wearing the Rolex and doing whatever it is rich people who don't know Jesus, you know, they do, you know? But let me tell you, I know some people who are rich, and it's like, even some believers, it's like somehow they just have to keep constantly pushing, pushing people down, taking advantage. They have to continually climb to make up for the holes in their pockets. And what suffers most is their character. But I know people who are very generous people. And I, I see that God has given them a lot to give and to enjoy. And then, but I don't see the, the, the constant striving and pushing and climb and clawing that rich, unbelieving people do to hold tightly to money and wait until they're billionaires where they can give and not feel it to give anything at all. Um, so I find that I am less stressed, less anxious, more fulfilled, more happy when I'm content with what God has given me and when I'm looking for opportunities to give to someone else, there's just a lot more satisfaction in that. I find, and somehow God still provides me money and time to do some of the things I really like to do. And I think he likes to see me do them. 
You know, maybe he's got a picture on his fridge of me golfing. I don't know. <laughs> you know, but I just know the more I think of me, the less happy I am. And the more I think of other people, the more happy I am. And I think that to answer your question, that that's what I think that's, it's not, you know, it's like what God calls us to, but it's more of like what God wants for us is to be happy and content. And not living for here, but living for then. Um, so if anything, I think the New Testament amplifies um, our giving. Now, I don't think it ever kind of brings it, the expectation down. Yeah, yeah. A couple of things I want to add to that. Um, I have, uh, over the years, I have never seen someone tithe themselves into wealth. <laughs> um, I have never seen someone like give away, give stuff away and then get rich off of it. But I could tell you stories for the rest of the day of people who gave thinking that they wouldn't be able to make ends meet afterwards and God providing. So I, I want to I be clear here that there's nothing in this that's trying to like manipulate to say like if you sow a seed of faith, you will reap a harvest of wealth. Like there's none of that here. Absolutely not. But I can tell you stories of my grandpa when he went to ministry school and he needed a dollar because this was like in the 50s. He needed a dollar to buy milk and flour. They didn't have a dollar. He was going to make biscuits and gravy to feed his kids because he was in Bible college and had nothing. And he went to the mailbox, to his, to his P.O. box, and opened it. And there was a blank envelope with a dollar in it. And he was able to, like when I, was, when I was a baby, my dad was a pastor. I can tell you times where blank checks showed up in the mail that were literally the exact amount that like paid the lights and like put groceries in the, in the fridge. For, you know, I can tell you a story. I heard a story earlier today of somebody who said over 40 years of them tithing, um, that there have been multiple instances where the math didn't add up, but God provided out of nowhere. I heard a story recently of someone, someone else, a friend of mine, who, um, who was talking about choosing to be a generous person, and in a time where they literally did not know how they were going to pay their bills, they got an anonymous Venmo of $1,000, <laughs> which paid their bills. <laughs> um, the point of that is that God is faithful. Um, God is faithful to provide. Um, I've never seen someone um, it, through generosity uh, grow wealthy. I've also never seen someone through generosity go hungry. Um, and I think that's an important uh, testimony of God's faithfulness. I can tell you stories from Jen and I's life of times where out of nowhere, money that we weren't expecting showed up and we were like able to not go into debt because of that or not you know, be able to provide for our needs at that time. Um, so the faithfulness of God is seen in this, not in the fact that he just, you know, gives us abundance necessarily, but that he gives what we need. He provides for our needs. My dad used to say that uh, God is rarely early but never late. He provides what we need. Um, used to say, my dad still says that. He's not dead. He's around. Um, <laughs> uh, you, can we jump into the weeds for a second? into the nerdy stuff. Is that all right? Because we're going to anyway, so you can just say yes. Um, so the word tithe is not specifically mentioned in the New Testament, and that is true. So people will say that. They'll say the tithe is not mentioned in the New Testament. Some people will also say uh, modern Jewish Jews do not practice the tithe, and that's sort of true. Um, they do not practice the temple tithe. They still practice, um, many of them, the uh, 
the tithe for the poor, the 10% um, given to charity. Um, but the reason that modern Jews do not do that is because the temple does not exist, therefore the sacrificial system does not exist. Um, but modern Jews who did, if the temple were to be rebuilt, and that would be an expected practice for Jewish people, we understand, as Paul wrote, that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, um, that the temple, the temple process was fulfilled in Christ. Um, so, in the majority of the early Christian writings, you can look this up, um, it's in the Didash or Didache, depending on how you want to pronounce that, there's no right way. Um, That's that, a first century uh, document from the church. Yep. Um, it's probably the first like early church handbook that we have, the most ancient writing outside of the New Testament. Um, it instructs in chapter 13 that um, for the people to bring their tithes in to uh, the prophet, St. Irenaeus instructed believers. He basically said, you think because we don't live under the law, you shouldn't live under the first fruits? We live under the grace of Jesus. We should even more be expected to do this. So there's this concept in the modern world that's largely because of the Reformation and the cultural realities of, of post-Reformation Europe that has influenced our world in a significant way um, that, that tells us that early Christians were very, very different in practice than Jewish people were. But if you were to go to a synagogue today, you would go to a synagogue and you would sing some songs and you would pray some prayers and there would be someone up front who would read and preach from the Torah. <laughs> Like the way a church practices is basically the way a synagogue practices. <laughs> um, so the, the early Christians, so if Paul went to a church and taught, he taught from the law and from the prophets because the Old Testament was their scripture. They just did not live under the restriction of the law. So they would have met and done similar things that a synagogue would have done just without the cultural expectations that Jewish people had and without the law expectations. So they, many of the things that they would have seen as law in Judaism became principle in, for early Christians, right? So um, what we're saying is tithing is not a required practice to follow Jesus, right? In the same way that prayer is not a required practice for following Jesus. You're not going to get kicked out of, of eternity or of the church or of discipleship or relationship with Jesus because of that. But it's a formative spiritual discipline that Christians have practiced that is based on the principles clearly laid out in scripture. Does that make sense? Does that difference make sense? So we do not give out of compulsion. Paul said the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Um, we do not give out of compulsion or to fulfill some legal requirement. We live under the principle that we see in scripture that early Christians would have looked at that principle and that's why we say the, the New Testament actually expands the expectation of generosity because the early Christians looked at it and they said, well, if the Old Testament expected a tithe, then we should be giving even more because we live under the generosity of Jesus and the lordship of King Jesus, not the law. So the principles of the law are expanded in application. Make sense? Awesome. So uh, we got just a couple, couple more questions. We'll, We'll run through these, maybe. <laughs> um, so how would you explain tithing as a spiritual discipline? Um, yeah, I think, you know, kind of my opinion I already shared, you know, on that. You know, just I think there's, there's um, you know, uh, something I used to say when I was uh, one of the pastors at a big Baptist church that could sometimes be controversial <laughs> was um, more than Jesus' desire for you to be saved, Jesus desired for you to be changed. Um, it's not just about that you say a prayer and you come to know Christ. It's, it's, who, it's who you become in this life is very, very important to him. Um, 
you know, and, and so what you learn from that is that God has designed life to challenge and to change you, <laughs> right? Who's married? Yeah, I mean, there are some blessings, right? Don't get me wrong, you know, and those blessings are sweet, um, but um, there is also a challenge um, to that. Um, you will get married, and usually it's at year two and year seven where people are contemplating divorce, because it's at that time where things begin to clash. Why am I giving my life to another person and not just getting what I want to do out of life? Because when you have to start living for somebody else, it's when you realize how selfish you are. <laughs> There's like this challenge. Jesus is like, you know, husbands love your wife as Jesus loves you. It's like crap. You know, like how do I, does that mean I have to lose this argument? Does that mean... Um, I have to, you know, do what my wife thinks, even if I don't necessarily think that's the best way to do it. Um, yes. Um, it means being a spiritual leader means I'm the first to apologize, or at least I should be. Um, and so you learn that marriage is there to challenge you, and you know what the reward of that is? Right? The Bible talks about Christ being married to the church. And from being married, we learn what that feels like. Right? We learn what Jesus himself feels in his love and affection for us by having to have love and affection for someone else. We learn about Jesus' sacrifice for us by learning to sacrifice for someone else. And that only gets harder when you have kids. That's when you really understand how selfish you are. <laughs> you know? You're like, would you just shut up so that I don't have to be stressed right now? You know, like you, you learn that. Um, but you know what you gain? Uh, you gain what it feels like for God to be a father. Um, and for God to be patient with his children. You see, that's why we get married. That's why we're not just running around like a bunch of monkeys, even though some people think maybe we do, right? But God has a purpose for marriage and teaching us something. He has a purpose for parenting and teaching us Something And he has a purpose for working and a purpose for being old and a purpose for being grandparents and a purpose for everything because at the end of it, we're being refined into something and we're learning something about the heart of God. Well, giving is the same thing. God knows that to open your wallet and to put that money anywhere else than your own stomach feels bad sometimes. Um, but it's teaching us what it means for God to be a giver. For God to be generous. Um, and so it, it's a spiritual discipline in that sense. And discipline just means that it's, 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 it's spiritually nourishing for you to do it, maybe even especially when you don't feel like doing it. Um, it's a discipline. It's, it's giving when there's an abundance and giving when there's not and just believing that God is sewing up the holes in the pockets and that he's going to provide what I need even if what I need is not necessarily what I think I want. Um, I think in, in anything we do in life, if we are doing it in surrender to the lordship of Jesus, then it is formative. In singleness, when we deny desire, that is formative to the way of Jesus. In marriage, when we deny desire and, and serve the other, it is formative. Um, 
tithing or giving has been considered a spiritual discipline throughout most of church history because like Phil said, when we do this thing, when we choose to do this thing, it orients ourselves around a truth of God's character. Um, as we've been talking about with the spiritual discipline, the spiritual discipline is a physical act that creates space for inner work. We've said that a bunch of times, we're going to say it a bunch more times, because for the last 200 years or so, spiritual disciplines have been really low on the Christian agenda in the Western world, but for the 1,800 years before that, they were expected, once again, not law, you don't get kicked out if you don't do them, but they were part of the life of a believer because they are physical activities that create space for the inner work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Um, so the act of giving is the act of saying, God has given to me, and he provides my needs, and it orients you physically around that truth. So when you do the physical act, it creates space for the Holy Spirit to work. It creates space for you to see the provision of the Holy Spirit in your life. Make sense? Make sense? This is what all spiritual disciplines do. And anything can be a spiritual discipline if we do it in and surrender to the lordship of Jesus, but there are specific acts that are designated as spiritual disciplines throughout church history that we all participate in uniquely in such a way that the world does not participate in. Tithing is super weird. You try to explain to a friend at work who's not a believer why you tithe, it's not going to make a lot of sense, right? Um, it's a unique discipline that separates us from the world, but it forms our hearts, it creates space for the inner work of the Holy Spirit. And let me, let me take a minute to say some things that would be more uncomfortable for CJ to say. <laughs> um, I get to do that. You can't fire me. Um, so, um, you know, and, I, and I, believe, I believe it's my conviction that that giving, that tithing goes to your church. Um, and the reason I believe that is why not? You know, like, like the, the, the church is not here, the fold is not here to absorb your money. I promise you, CJ, not that he has to, he lives very simply, um, CJ and Jen do. There's nobody here uh, profiting. It's mostly uh, operated by volunteers. Um, people are, aren't here profiting from what is given. But what the church does is it gives us an opportunity to celebrate together, um, to, to grow together, but to do something great together. Right, we we when you when you give when you tithe to the fold, you're not you're not tithing to the fold. You're giving through the fold because that money goes back into ministry. That's where it goes. We're just deciding that we're on the, a team uh, together, that we're in a family together, that we're giving together towards a cause. Uh, the Bible doesn't say that you can't give that tithe to another church, but I think why. Why? We're, we're in partnership here um, to do things for the Lord. Um, now, I, from my own personal experience, guys, I have been a pastor at a very large church, and a very large church that has a lot of money, uh, more money than it should probably. Um, and I've pastored at churches um, that, that were very small. And here's what's true statistically. Um, a tenth of the people in every church give. Churches are supported by 10% um, of the people in the church. Um, and, you know, that's, that's why you may, you may see, you know, pastors 
um, who, who live um, a little bit of, uh, um, uh, with more money um, are pastoring larger churches because that can still happen from 10% um, of what's given. Um, what really needs to happen, guys, is everyone giving and no one getting rich. That's what needs to happen. One of my frustrations is I was pastoring at a church that was having a building campaign. Um, I didn't understand what kind of debt was going on. Um, it wasn't explained to me when I was hired to come there. Um, but, you know, there was just this pressure to put on people all the time, an emotional plea to get them to give. I sat around with a couple other pastors that were in partnership with us at bigger churches that were doing really well. And they were laughing and joking about some guy who had saved his whole career to buy a Corvette and had donated it for this building campaign that they had. And they were just, ha, 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 well, praise the Lord, brother. Looks like the Holy Spirit was moving. Um, I just went and sat somewhere else. And it made them upset. You know, like, who is he? Um, he should be sitting at our feet learning this. And I didn't want to learn that garbage. Um, and I even said to our, the elders at the time, I just said, guys, I'm not going to do that. I mean, God will reward that guy for giving up his Corvette. But doggone it, he worked his whole life, you know, like <laughs> to have that thing, you know, like you, you're making light of something that is a big deal. Maybe you have a multi-million dollar building to pay for, but that was a big sacrifice for somebody. It's not a joke. I'm never going to ask people to give from their retirement. I'm never going to ask people to go into debt. I'm never going to put pressure on people's backs to pay for millions of dollars in a building that we don't need. And I made enemies. I ended up having to resign from that church. And I think one of the questions is testimony. So I'll just go ahead and get into that, you know. Um, I was sitting in a meeting with elders at that church where they were cussing and swearing at me um, for not being on board with all of these things. You know, and it grieved my heart because that's not what pastors are supposed to experience. So I just felt the spirit lead. I stood up and I shook their hands and I said, I love you, but I'm not your pastor or you wouldn't treat me this way. And so I'm resigning right now. And I walked out the door. And guys, I had to go home, face pasty white, and look at my wife and say, I resigned tonight. Um, we did not know how we were going to make ends meet. Did not know. It's like I felt like, I ever felt like you were in a dream? That's how I felt for a couple of days. But the next day, I got in the car and went looking for a job. And so for a little while, I delivered auto parts. Um, and for a little while, I delivered flowers until a man who I believe was being faithful with what God had given him. You know, I like Ephesians 4.29. You should look it up later. It says, it says, no one should steal anymore. Most people read that and think, well, good. I won't walk past the fruit stand and take an apple, you know, like. It's not what it's talking about. It's talking about taking advantage, manipulating, taking uh, what is not you've not rightfully earned from other people. But it says, "But work with your own hands, so that you have uh, that you have an abundance to give from." 
Like this is a principle I have in my life is, is Corey says, you don't even think about the giving, you just do it. And I said, yeah, that's because I work hard. You know, like I know if I work hard and if I need to work harder, I work harder, you know. Um, but when people need, then we, we, then we need to supply that need. And, um, you know, well, this, this has, been, has been exampled for me, but, this, you know, there's a gentleman that I knew who was a believer, you know, and he found out what was going on with me, and he says, look, I, I want you to come work for me, at least for a time. I'm going to pay you this much, which was way more than the job required. But he knew that's what it was going to take to take care of my four kids and my wife and, 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 and get on. And, um, you know, and then eventually I moved into a management role at the company where I believe I've been able to have a great impact and things have only gotten, gotten better. But, but, but God supplied in that, in that moment for, in ways I didn't expect. I didn't know how long I was going to be delivering auto parts. There's nothing wrong with delivering auto parts. I wasn't going to be able to pay all of our bills that way. Um, but God provided um, in two ways. One, he just provided <laughs> And two, through somebody else's obedience. Um, and here's what God, I think, wants us to do and what he's teaching me is to work hard so that I can give, so that, so that I can have income and I can keep my eye out for people who need somebody to, to come over around them. You know, somebody who's really struggling with something, you know, then, then I, can, I can look for opportunities um, to help, because people have done that for me, and I believe they've done that out of obedience to the Lord. Um, so I, I think it, I think it's I believe that what the Scripture teaches is that we give through the church. I think the fold has the potential to be a church that doesn't survive off of ten percent of people giving ten percent, but that we can become a church as small as we are. That can have a great impact in Greenville because we all decide to be generous together. Um, people have different convictions. For clarity's sake, it's my conviction that a pastor should never should never make more than the median person who's in their church. I think that's where people live and reside. You live and reside with the people you minister with. Um, I think any time it varies from that, I think it's off kilter from where it is supposed to be. Um, and that's, that's the kind of vision that we have here. You know, you, when you give, you give through the church. You're never going to look around here and be like, you know, why does that trough you're baptizing people in have jacuzzi jets in it? And, and, the, staff, and the staff are using it Monday through Saturday. Um, you know, um, you know, who knows? Maybe one day we'll have a bigger building and, uh, and a different baptismal. I don't, I don't know, but you're... But the, the leaders that we, that we serve with here are the kind of people who are not taking advantage of anyone and who want to make a difference in Greenville. And I, I encourage you um, to give and to be a part of the family in that way because it's only going to make us more effective for the kingdom of God um, if we all do it together. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm sorry. You know, you have to forgive me for... <laughs> You are forgiven. <laughs> um, well, as we wrap up, and we've went a little over today, but we're going to celebrate something really cool in just a minute that is absolutely worth going over for. Um, I just want to remind you of this. We believe that participating in giving is more important than giving here. Um, so if you heard all of this and you're like, still, I don't think, I don't want to tie it to a place that's asking for money or whatever, then I, we still say, find somewhere else and give. 
to experience the discipline. And I mean, like Phil already said, our, our church operates on tithing, but we would rather be people who give than be people who are asking for giving. Does that make sense? We want to be generous people. It is more important for us to experience the spiritual discipline of tithing. For as much as whatever needs we have here, it is more important, and we believe it's more faithful to the way of Jesus to open up our hands and say, um, give, whether it's here or not. <laughs> Does that make sense? Right? We believe that as part of the family, we do give here, and we give as a family together, but if you're still figuring that out, then start the practice and start it wherever you can. Sound good? Let's pray. We're going to sing a song, and then we are going to celebrate something really special together. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your consistent, faithful generosity to us. We thank you that generosity is a formative practice in which we learn who you are, and we imitate who you are. God, I ask that you would form us into a generous people and a generous community in ever, and show us Show us the ways that through our faithfulness to you that we can see transformation happen, not in just our lives, but in the city and world around us. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand.